Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski here at Christo Avalese every week, bringing you the leftist perspective on all that Canadian news that you uh, need to know. Last week, we spent, I believe it was the entirety of the show, talking about how the NDP are failing Indigenous people here in Canada, and I think the case can be made, most other Canadians due to that inaction. Both you and I, Christo, really were looking for Singh to come out in the last week and say something strong, to move the needle so that any of the people that legitimately felt like they couldn't support the NDP anymore now had a bit of a reason to stay. It's been a week. We have not seen that, have we? No, we have not. I mean, we've like it's mostly been status quo. I mean, yeah. the rights have continued to be trampled. Um the NDP has largely, as an institution, been fairly quiet. I've been hearing, you know, that some of the provincial movements might be making statements, but I doubt they'll be as strong as they need to be. I'm not sure if it came out before or after our show, but the Quebec, the young Quebec NDPers came out with something that was quite good and it should be commended. And of course, you continue to hear people like Nikki Ashton and Matthew Green and Leah Gazan, you know, make statements. You've also seen Peter Julian kind of re like confirm that that he thinks the pipeline should be canceled. He's a, a BC NDP MP. So you're seeing some voices, but in terms of like a concerted party effort to come out and say, we need to, you know, cut down, um, you know, this, all this mm. BS, we need to go at John Horgan. Uh, you haven't seen that. You yeah. have not seen that. Yeah. And I guess that was, the hope it was a, a little bit uh, perhaps of a naive hope on my part that we would see a move because we haven't seen a stop or an end to the conflict that's happening happening at the Wet'suwet'en checkpoints that is happening between RCMP basically military forces against these land defenders but the actual amount of press that is going to continue to covering these events is going to be less and less so if it didn't happen this week unless you know something really horrific happens and they end up killing someone I don't think we're going to hear anything from the establishment NDP of what we wanted and I think for me now this new show I'm, I'm comfortable saying that it's perhaps not enough for me to completely throw in the towel for the NDP but it's going to be very very difficult now in any of the further campaigns whenever Singh or, or establishment federal NDP candidates talk about what they're going to do for Indigenous people and for Canadians. The first question that any reporter should have should be this incident in the past two weeks here and their response. So I think it's going to be hard to build back that trust. And I think, honestly, this has hurt them in ways that perhaps they they aren't considering because I there's very I don't see him saying anything now. What about you? I mean, it's tough, right? Because if if there's a sense, like just pure cynicism, if there's a sense that the people that are mad about this are already mad at you and are not going to give you credit because you you spoke up uh, too little, too late, mm. uh, and then there are the other people don't want you to speak up because they support the pipeline or they don't want you to to to, to cause or exacerbate any party infighting. Um, you know, maybe the calculation is going to be. Uh, well, you know, we didn't say anything before. And like you said, unless it gets so bad, it can't be ignored even more than it's been ignored. And it's really, really bad. You're probably right that you're not going to hear uh, anything direct from the party on, mm -hmm. on this. I don't know. I mean, uh, if there's a groundswell of activist sentiment if through the riding associations and it's formalized, uh, maybe. But, you know, we're also like, I don't think we're running up on a convention anytime soon. It's just, I don't know where the venue would be for this sort of thing to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I guess my question to you, because I already gave my position away here uh, a little bit, Christo. Does this time between the event happening and what we've seen now change anything for you in terms of how you feel about the NDP here in Canada? I mean, like this, this is not necessarily because I didn't expect uh, an updated response. Again, my position is that I still see value in the party, both in the sense that it offers uh, 
the best path towards a lot of our objectives. And 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 crucially on on this matter, while the NDP is failing at this, no other party with significant representation is doing anything more. Yeah. Um. I think that that's a a factor of realism that you have to look at. But again, as I noted last week, people who have said that anything from I'm leaving the party to, you know, I've canceled my donations to, uh, I have, you know, stepped down from a a riding executive or a provincial executive. uh, I, 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 I certainly can't, uh, question those people at all because, uh, this, this is a big deal. Whether if we're talking about this as, uh, from various factors, from basic human rights perspective, from the commitments to a to true reconciliation, to the, the climate, um, the the response should be, you know, uh, Horgan and the BC NDP and the federal liberals, of course, need to stop uh, this encroachment uh, and uh, listen to the uh, elders who have the uh, custody of that land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they can't get a deal to build a pipeline through it, then they, the pipeline should just forever not be built. And yeah. maybe they, like, look, I'm not even a pipeline guy, but maybe you can find another route that goes through a different piece of land that they don't have a say over, and you can do that, and then like, we can have just a fight about the pipeline. But right now, it's like it's a, it's a fight about uh, human rights uh, and, and uh, n- national rights and uh, climate issues. And the, the party's been too quiet on all three in this case. Yeah, no, I, I I think the one thing that I've had some time to reflect on this since last week that hasn't really translated with the federal leadership that I wish it did, that so many of the people listening to us right now, and, and I would say a not insignificant chunk of NDP supporters, are already making a compromise by supporting the the federal party of the NDP, because they recognize that just what you said, that yeah. perhaps it doesn't align exactly with their leftist values, because frankly, it doesn't. It, it, it try, A lot of the platform doesn't give what you and I perhaps would want in a more perfect world, but it's the only party that has a chance to make those changes and is even in a ballpark. And I, I just well, feel it like... Also, and it has roots, the historical yeah, roots. And, that's a and big the, deal. And the party is not simply a compromise. The NDP has often been at the forefront of of mainstreaming uh, values that are now seen as common sense in Canada. You know, it was once a time where both major parties in Canada, for instance, felt it abhorrent that the uh, Chinese and Japanese Canadians would have the right to vote. CCF largely said otherwise. And lo and behold, now the idea of uh, a broad racial ban on certain mm-hmm. groups voting uh, would be seen as abhorrent. So, uh, but 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 you are right in the sense that the NDP, especially as it's currently constituted, is the compromise. Is the compromise. I st- I remember this just you know as two guys who we, we talk can- Canadian politics on this podcast, but you know who um, you know would be Bernie guys down south. Yeah, of you know course. a lot of people <laughs> would say, "Oh, Bernie's this like radically left wing guy," and and he's not. I mean, in mm-hmm. in the in the sense of a, of mainstream American politics, there's not really been anything like Bernie. In a long, long time. So I'm not saying he's just, you know, he's he's regular, he's regular, boring politician. Mm-hmm. But even people there said, you know, Bernie's the compromise. It's like we want like social, we want socialism, and we know that Bernie's really only offering like a robust social democracy. But it's what's achievable now. It's what it connects, you know, a, a broad vision with what the voters might support beyond our bubble. And you're and you're right in noting that it's like. You know, if you're the compromise and you still leave people wanting, what does that say? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I do think that is the lasting message that I'm concerned about that perhaps isn't translating to some of the leadership that are making these choices to not engage with such an issue that's so central to the I would say the principles of so many NDP yeah. voters. So I, it, I, I know, do I do wonder because... the leadership there. I, I and I, we've heard that from other people. Like talking on the Discord, yeah. there are people that had yeah. the position of I want to leave, and a lot of it is with this belief that the leadership doesn't understand why they are supporting. And I I kind of I I feel for them in a way that perhaps I didn't before. My my trust in that just by this I think has eroded a little bit. Go ahead, what you were saying. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, look, and, and and here's the thing, like, this is not an easy issue for the party. Every yeah, party yeah. has issues 
that divide it, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not always clear what the political best situation is. Now, I'm of the view, honestly, that long term, the party, I think, for, for moral reasons and political reasons, needs to you know, be stronger on, on issues of climate and indigenous rights. But yeah. we saw the conservative party where it's not always easy. That party's membership is a climate change denying. Yeah. If we believe in democracy of a party, then the party's position should be, we're going to, we're going to deny climate change. Mm hmm. Aaron O'Toole, to a certain degree, went anti-democratic and said, no, we still believe in climate change, regardless of what my stupid members say. And there are times where it's it's difficult to understand it, it, where what's politically more savvy. Yeah. And the NDP, just like any other party, the, the membership does not always reflect the voting base. Um, and I don't know, like, honestly, I don't know what hurts the party more. I don't mm -hmm. know. Right. I do wonder about that analogy you bring up. Cause I, I just think about what happened in the NDP convention when we're trying to deal with, uh, more equitable laws around Canada's position on Palestine and Israel and yeah. the choices that leadership made. And that almost kind of the inverse in some ways of what the conservatives tried to do here in Canada. So I just, that I, yeah. I do feel like there is. Yeah. There's clearly a, a strong grassroots leftist momentum within the NDP party that needs to be emboldened. Uh, you now. did it again. You did oh, it again. Yeah. Well, see, uh, I'm getting enraged. We, we, it happened yeah, we, there. We, we, no, but like, look, I think, I think this is this is one of those issues that's really hard because I yeah. think now the 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 movement has on Israel Palestine used to always be the biggest fight at NDP conventions, and now we've sort of gotten at least a halfway decent statement where, where it's like no no palestinians are humans we should not sell weapons to the evil government murdering them yeah. and you know what i mean like it's very very baseline it's it's very baseline and we we're not going to boycott all of israel we're only going to boycott specifically the places that are you know illegally built so it's yeah, very basic. Yeah. <laughs> we're not we're not doing like a total apartheid thing like like mm -hmm. what happened to south africa which many people suggest should be happening with Israel, but I think pipelines are tricky because while I think a lot of the party was able to kind of make that position, some of the governments, especially out West, it's like they, like that's part of the political strategy to victory. Like Rachel yeah. Notley cannot win if she takes an anti-pipeline position. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think so. I, I personally don't think so. Now, does that mean she needs to be a pipeline sycophant? I don't know. Does it mean mm -hmm. that she needs to like, you know, run on pipelines and then also do nothing to implement like universal post-secondary education? Like again, where's where's Notley being like, yeah, pro pipeline, but also, uh, we're we're we're, we're raising taxes, uh, all of that. You know, like I don't know. My point yeah. is, it's not always clear like what the the best strategy is, and we don't necessarily represent the majority opinion. And mm -hmm. so I think from a moral perspective, Singh and, the, and company are getting it wrong here. And I also think, honestly, from a political perspective, to some degree, they're getting it wrong. But they might also be calculating, again, this isn't me um, defending them, but this is me more saying, like, it might, it might, this might be the party calculating that um, there's more to lose by taking the anti-pipeline uh, position in this case. Uh, than there is to gain for us, mm -hmm. right? I don't know, right? I, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. We've we've talked about this, how, you know, voters didn't seem to prioritize in, uh, issues of racial equality and indigenous rights in the last election. It didn't seem to happen. Justin Trudeau fought indigenous kids in court. Um, you know, he's bragged about building pipelines. And ultimately, a lot of voters who say they care about those things went to vote for Trudeau. Or, or, you know, or their, lo their, their local liberal MP or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This is like, this well, is this is an issue that is not going to go away, though, because it's one of those issues that, that's hard for the party. There are some issues where everyone in the NDP or almost everyone disagrees or agrees on. Like, we all, uh, uh, we all oppose, um, you know, uh, weakening labor laws, right? We yeah. all oppose that. Um, the everyone in the NDP supports unions. Right to choose, yeah. Right, yeah. Important everyone in yeah, ninety nine percent of NDPers, 
maybe not 99, but every uh, every official in the NDP is, is like pro LGBTQ, mm-hmm. pro uh, choice, all of all of those things, right? Um, yeah. But when you're talking about resource extraction. It creates a it creates a uniquely challenging issue for the NDP more than any other party, because the liberals and conservatives can largely just be pro extraction. Um, the liberals uh, acknowledge the climate change and then ignore it, uh, and the conservatives yeah. just ignore it largely. Uh, the Greens, <laughs> I think, even uh, can 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 you know they're a smaller party. They can be more pro environment. That's kind of their their whole thing. Although uh, Liz May did support in some limited sense, like you know pipelines and all of that. Um, but the NDP is in a tricky position where uh, the NDP has a large left environmentalist base, but also a a a, a base that uh, wants to use resource extraction as part of their economic strategy. And I don't know the party has not the party has not come to that reckoning about which side is going to win and and how to address that. Uh, it is a little strange yeah. though to think about because on on the alternate side we do have that existential dread about an issue like climate change and the yep. environmental impact of our economy still relying so intently on the this sort of resource extraction like it does it's interesting now that we talk about it in these sort of political terms when i think for those you know those uh leftist uh, environmentalists it really isn't that confusing it, it, it has to be this way yep. because the alter the alternative is annihilation in some yep. way so it's, oh, it's odd that the most like the the trickiest one is the one that perhaps morally is the simplest based on the facts of our what is going to happen with our society you know what i mean like yep. it is it, it's hard to move that football a little bit and not be judged because so many people are supporting the NDP because they believe that they're going to push for change. And the one thing we need to push for change is to still be a functioning country that will still be around 100 and 150 years from now. And if you continue on this path, like it's very clear we won't. So I, I hear what you're saying, but yep. the other part of my brain oh, yeah. is just going like, no, no, no you're 100% it's not complicated. Right. This, like it yeah, has well, to be simple, you know? Yeah. But like, but like, look, if you like support for pipelines in Canada, let's like support more pipelines. Let's see. Let's take a look. Like, I don't even know if I could find this. Um, <laughs> but like. Uh, the percentages, you mean, like what is what it's looking like polling wise? Yeah. Yeah. Let's take like, a look. I mean, and like, see, there's a so. poll here that says the federal government. Most Canadians don't think the federal government should spend any more money on the transatlantic pipeline or the, the trans Pacific uh, trans mountain pipeline. But that's not necessarily opposition to the pipeline, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why would it uh, be? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the reality is Canadians are not um, ubiquitous on this, Mm -hmm. but I think Canadians are still pretty divided. And a lot of this is regional. And this is one challenge for the NDP is that we... And this is a strength of the NDP in some cases, but also a weakness. It's the federated party. We're yeah. the only party that has the the purely federated structure, where you're a member of the NDP, whether federal or provincial, mm-hmm. right? And the NDP everywhere is linked to the federal party. With the liberals, it depends. So, for instance, I believe in some of the maritime provinces, um, the liberal party is connected to the federal liberals. Like, you're a member of both. But in mm-hmm. Ontario, for instance, you are not. In BC, you're not. And in BC, the BC liberals are really kind of a mishmash of the conservative party and right-wing liberals and centrist liberals, whereas the BC NDP is the NDP plus more progressive liberals and, and all of that. And so the reality is that one challenge for the NDP is that the federal party and some of the eastern provinces can have a position but that puts them at odds potentially with public opinion on certain issues in the mm-hmm. West. And yeah. probably the biggest issue would be resource extraction because, again, people open to voting NDP are generally going to be in support of Singh when he says he wants a wealth tax, of Singh when yeah. he says he wants to um, you know, uh, invest in education, on Singh when he wants to make dental care, pharmacare. NDP supporters in Saskatchewan and Newfoundland and Ontario are all going to agree with that. But when Singh says, I want to ban... Uh, 
if, if hypothetically was to say, I want to transition away from oil and I want to ban pipelines and do all of this and do all of that, there will be some potential NDP voters in the West that will not agree with him um, and won't vote for the NDP, uh, at least federally. And that, from, and I'm not, again, I'm not defending them. Provincial parties will often then have to say, if they feel accurately or not, that the only way they can win is to at least be seen as neutral on, on fossil fuels. They'll have to then distance themselves from Singh. And this is the whole reason there was that Notley-Singh conflict, uh, you know, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's a challenge that the federal liberals don't really have. They get it every now and then. You know, yeah. Justin Trudeau, especially when he makes a choice to associate with a particular liberal leader. But... Um, you know, Jason Kenney, given that the party is not connected officially and given that its its name is different, when Kenny fucks up, it's not as directly connected to O'Toole because O'Toole leads the Canadian Conservative Party of Canada um, and uh, Kenny leads the United Conservative Party in Alberta. Uh, yeah. John Horgan leads the British Columbia NDP and Jagmeet Singh leads the federal NDP, parties that are officially connected. Um, some people have said, and I, I still think I like the federated structure in a lot of ways, but some people have said this is an example of where it's really hurting the NDP. That yeah, if Singh that. was, if they were both just brought, they were both called social democratic parties and they had mm-hmm. a lot of overlap and some friendship, but they weren't officially the same institution. Singh might have more credence, although he still might not do it, still might not do it to criticize uh, Horgan. Uh, not that it's not a cop-out. He should still yeah. criticize Horgan, but it's seen as one of the limitations of the NDP's like uh, federal provincial linking structure. Yeah, you think it would allow for a mechanism for big changes and, and, and big movement to happen and let it you know trickle down to every other municipality and, and provincial outpost there to make those changes happen. But like you said, here are the uh, the negatives possibly of of having this. I, I do want to say, Christo, I, I do feel like this will be one of these issues, like what we just spoke about now, that 20 years from now, they're dusting off left turn Canada because apparently <laughs> we do hard we do hard uh, fi- uh, fixtures there. So they'll find the, the thing. Our, our children will listen to it and go like, wow. There's they're pretty right wing. I got to say they're saying that they want pipelines or they might be not white pipelines, but it's OK that they're even thinking about it. Like, I do think this will be one of those things that we look back on politically here from a leftist perspective and just say, like, fucking hell, what were we thinking? That's some neoliberal shit. Like, I'm getting ready for the next generation to make fun of us. I think it's already happening. Well, I mean, for we're not even... taking a pro pipeline position. No, here. but all we're saying it's, it's in the lexicon, though. You yeah, know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, yeah. it's it, the, you know what I mean? It's just the, the reality is that pe- people people still support pipelines um i think the ndp is wrong to chase after super pipeline supporting voters um but this is this is an issue that that it is not is not simple and you're right yeah. that this is an existential crisis for our species but there's a lot of people who, one, I think irrationally think this will not hurt me, right? Yeah. Or yeah. this will not hurt my children or whatever. Maybe they're optimistic. And I think somewhat rationally up until, and again, I know there's been crises in BC and I'm not trying to downplay that. Rich nations and especially the rich people in those nations mm-hmm. have been broadly spared from some of the major climate change issues. Like the people that are going to suffer most over the next decades are overwhelmingly people in developing countries. And so cynically as it is, maybe people think, well, who cares? We'll keep burning our fossil fuels and we'll build up our borders. Look, man, I don't think today is the day, but like there's going to be a discussion about eco-fascism. Right. About how like uh, as resources become more scarce and as more and more people get displaced because of droughts, because of fires, because of floods, because of pestilence, whatever, those people are going to need to go somewhere Mm -hmm. and it might not be in their own countries. And I think countries that have that have been less ravaged by climate change or have the resources to mitigate its effects will um, use that as a pretext to 
you know, uh, build up national security and what have you. Yeah, and it's that, already yeah. it's already happening yeah. in the United States. Like it's already yeah. policy of the natural disasters that are happening on border regions and, and trying to just like you said, shore up that nationalism, make sure the security state is stronger, doing essentially the opposite because they know that they will at the worst case scenario as the planet is on fire and bubbling, there is more likelihood that they will be in a bunker in New Zealand than having to maybe give up trucks right now. Like that, that is a more likely reality, I think, for a segment of our population that they would be in a post-apocalyptic vault vis-a-vis fallout than maybe making some changes that would be a little dramatic. Absolutely. But a change to their life right now. And I, I you know, it's it's upsetting to talk about, but I, I do think that's real for a lot of people. And it kind of ties in nicely to what I wanted to talk about now. We 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 discussed last week. For the people that were concerned about the NDP, that that wanted to still exercise their leftist voices and maybe don't want to be with the party anymore, where should they go? And there was a question about the Green Party here in Canada. They didn't do very well last election. There was a lot of leadership fights and the confusion surrounding that. Well, this week, they have a new interim leader. And honestly, Christo, it's it's pretty hopeful. Like, again, they haven't had a chance to to really push what the new Green Party of Canada is going to look like here. But I am impressed. So it's uh, Amita Kuttner is the interim leader. Uh, They hold a Ph.D. in astronomy and astrophysics. Uh, They ran for uh, a candidacy in 2019. They also ran for leadership in 2020. They are part of the scientific establishment, that kind of small wing of the Green Party of Canada. And they're also now the youngest and first trans person, a first person of East Asian descent to lead a major Canadian political party. And in terms of what we talked about earlier, what we want these parties to represent, this seems like a real step in the right direction getting you know that scientific initiative and proof that change needs to happen for an environment and representing you know a lot of the people that really believe that that are of this generation that hasn't been represented before you know i i'm wondering for you and again it's hard how much power does a leader really have if this pushes at all that arithmetic we talked about last week about someone who maybe is looking to the uh, the Green Party as an alternative. Well, what do you f- think? A, f- a few things. One, this is an interim leadership. And, and not, not to downplay it, but often interim leaders have less leeway than permanent leaders because they don't have a quote-unquote mandate from either the public or even the party membership. So in terms of like any big shifts... They're likely to be questioned because they haven't won the leadership, right? So um, this isn't to say that Kuttner couldn't run again. There is, in some cases, sometimes parties will have a, a, like, this often applies to parties, the more established parties, that when somebody becomes an interim leader, it's often expected that they not run for the leadership, mm, that it's somebody who who takes on the job Uh, In the sense that they are capable, they are respected, they are often experienced, but also somebody who maybe doesn't want to be the next full-fledged leader, and they're often seen as somebody who can, you know, set the table for the next guy or gal or or, or person who takes the job, right? Um, And Mm -hmm. you've seen that before, where it's either an informal or formal agreement that the person that takes the interim leadership will not accept the the, the permanent one. I don't know if that's Kuttner's thing. I, I, I assume it isn't. But the they um, ran for leadership before, so that that does show some type of ambition, right? Yes. Like not just that custodian kind of thing that you're you're talking about. I wonder if it is different because it is a smaller party. It could be because they're a smaller party. It could also be because they they in addition to being a smaller party, they only have two MPs, neither of whom are um the neither of whom are 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 are, are offering this. There was a discussion that. Paul Manley was was being considered a favorite. He's the uh, the recently defeated MP from British Columbia, but he uh, uh, said he was busy taking on other projects in his community. Um, and so I think that the Kuttner could certainly um, have a chance to win the party leadership 
going forward. It, mm-hmm. it, it's tricky because in the actual race, uh, they 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 weren't necessarily successful. Uh, you know, they ran on a pretty decent platform. As as noted, they are um, they are uh, groundbreaking in at least two or three ways. Mm-hmm. But um, in that 2020 Green Party leadership election, they did finish um, third last. There was mm-hmm. two candidates that finished before them. But uh, Amita Kuttner was sort of grouped, at least loosely, with Dimitri Laskaris and uh, Maryam Haddad, who were broadly mm-hmm. seen as like left-wing candidates. I think Kuttner maybe a little bit less so, but she was seen as one of the, the progressive ones. I remember that... You know, uh, for people that joined the Green Party to support Lascaris largely had a thing to say, you know, rank these uh, rank Dimitri first, Haddad second or vice versa, and then rank Kuttner third. Uh, Ultimately, it didn't matter necessarily. Again, on the first ballot, they were uh, one, two, three, four, five, sixth with about six percent of the vote. But um, clearly, they are still one of the more relatively well-known people in the party. Although, I don't believe they ran in the 2021 election. They did run in Burnaby, North Seymour uh, in 2019 um, and finished uh, fourth with about 9.6% of the vote. Uh, And so, um, I think this is good to see. But we have a lot of questions still. Again, one, it's an interim leadership. Uh, so can mm. they actually implement a vision? And are they going to run, uh, you know, for their own mandate as as green leader? Um, are the issues really about anime, Paul? Or are they about the, the, the party uh, structure? I guess we're going to find out. Because clearly there was a lot of conflict between anime, Paul, the, 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 the now former green party leader, and the, the party apparatus... And I don't think it's necessarily black and white about, you know, who was at fault and, and, and what have you. Mm-hmm. But if, for instance, um, Kuttner goes through many of the same things that enemy Paul did, then you might assume that it's uh, an ongoing issue with the Green Party in the post-Elizabeth May period that they mm-hmm. um, might have a hard time allowing a leader to assert their vision. And, of course, one challenge with the Green Party is it always is that, um, you know, the leader, in this case, again is not sitting in parliament and doesn't have a ready-made prospect to get into parliament. And so mm-hmm. that makes it, uh, 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 makes it quite tough. I mean, they have their new MP from Kitchener um, uh, and they have their new, was it, was it, was it, is it Kitchener? Am I getting that right? Yeah. I believe it's Kitchener. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, Elizabeth May. And so they don't have that now, hypothetically, and this would make even more sense with anime Paul, is that Elizabeth May could step down. I know Vancouver and Victoria, they're not the same place I for all the Western listeners, but she is a <laughs> BC local. She's lived yeah. in BC uh, her whole life, I believe, or she's at least uh, was born there uh, and, and I think still lives in BC, has recently run in BC. It would be more plausible even than, say, Annamie Paul, that if uh, Elizabeth May was to resign her seat and then allow Kuttner to run in a by-election. Um, but I don't know mm. if we'll see that happen again. Yeah, because Paul is so much the Green Party. Like it, I remember in in the year in the last decade, you know, that was the voice for people that that weren't aware even of what perhaps the Green Party represented or, or what it was supposedly pushing. It was just oh, this one woman was yeah. the face yeah, of it Liz, all. Yeah, yeah, her Liz, to be, yeah, yeah. Oh, May, yeah, sorry, yeah, 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 that she was that to have her completely perhaps removed is not the right word, but to to no longer be you know, sitting in that seat, I think could be, I don't know, maybe it is time. Maybe that is causing some of the problems that we we've heard before with factions that are still loyal, quote unquote, to that. It, it, who knows what the uh, the machinations are behind the scenes? I wanted to ask you, though, Christo, what do you think this uh, interim leadership allocation or vote or application? What does that mean that they chose a candidate like this versus you know, Lascaris or having something that is more, have someone that is more of that eco-socialist. Like, are we ever going to get close to that here? Because as an alternative to the NDP, people want 
I think at least the Green Party and what we've heard from a lot of our listeners, they want the Green Party to represent that. And we haven't really seen that happening. Do you think that's could even happen or is that just not going to work for this this party of what we've seen so far? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily to be fair to the Greens, I wouldn't necessarily make too much of their decision here on a grand ideological perspective because again an interim (laughs) leader it it, it might be the case that not everyone wants to do it it might be the case that this was somebody that everyone could sort of uh, accept from the various wings of the party i'm not exactly sure it could be because uh maybe uh, maybe on their resume and uh, uh, their political and personal resume they have an established track record of leading organizations because i believe they do in their day job like lead an organization um, runs the Moonlight Institute, a nonprofit that explores ways to adapt to the climate crisis. So uh, they might have managerial experience, and maybe the party is just looking for 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 that sort of stability. I think the next question, of course, is going to be who they select as their next actual leader, because that person will get to run on a vision for the party, a vision for the platform, a vision for the country, and then have the Green Party membership decide. So, like, I believe they they have. I think it's it's six months. The interim leader, yeah, this is a CP24 article saying the interim leader will be in the post for a maximum of six months before a full-time leader can be elected to uh, succeed Paul, who stepped down earlier this month. So mm-hmm. I think um, that's not enough time for them to yeah. really implement a grand ideological vision, especially given that you know, we're almost guaranteed to not have an election in the next six months. Uh, you know, yeah. given we just had one, I would say that we're probably closer to two years out from another election. So um, I think what's going to happen is I'm, I'm, I'm sure she's going to do a great job from a from an institutional perspective. And hopefully they can fix some things. But I think we, we have to wait until the actual Green Party leadership campaign to see who runs and what they run on. And we don't really know a whole lot about that yet. Yeah. Do you think, I guess, more broadly then, because I think you're absolutely right. It is just that that six month ticket. They could just be a a great, uh, like you said, managerial presence that's here to make sure everything continues shoring up the the inner workings of what it means to have a, a federal party. But do you think that there is any chance that we could see after what we've seen in the past? from the Green Party here and kind of them pushing down some of those more leftist and even stronger socialist ideas uh, for what, you know, environmentalism really can be here in Canada. Do you think there's a chance that that could happen six months from now when, you know, the new leader, the the real leader is uh, decided? Do you think that, that there's any chance that they could be a real alternative to especially now like what did we spend the last hour and a half of of showtime talking about about how the ndp's fucking up like do you, do you think that there's any way that they could be a real alternative or do they just not have the numbers i mean look we can never say anything for certain one thing to be yeah. said okay well there's a couple there's really i think two ways you could look at this one um last time well if we look last time it was pretty close like yeah. like so to say that like like Despite the fact that the party clearly didn't want Lascaris to win, and for a brief moment, I believe they they suspended his campaign, and then he appealed and was to get back on the ballot. You know, he came really close. If you recall, on the first ballot, he was only um, about two points behind Enemy Paul. And crucially, on the fourth and fifth ballots, he went slightly ahead of her. It was only mm-hmm. after, because uh, because about three of the four main candidates were more centrist, that he was reeled in. But ultimately, on the final ballot, Enemy Paul got fifty point six percent of the vote, and Dimitri Laskaris forty two two. So you know, less than like, about eight and a half points. But that was only two thousand and like nine votes. And so mm-hmm. it's certainly possible. Um, that Dimitri Lascaris running again, the person that beat him out of the party in disgrace, and not necessarily a guarantee that the other people that finished, you know, the, the other top non-left candidates are going to run again, he could certainly mm-hmm. win. Um, you know, but the party will still largely, the party's establishment will largely be against him. 
One thing to also look at it is, is a wild card is that does Mike Morris run from Kitchener? Last time, mm. what happened, on, uh, uh, interesting as it was, is the Greens had two MPs. They had Manley and they had May. May obviously stepped down, but the, their one sitting MP didn't, didn't run for the leadership. And if he did, it likely would have been difficult to beat him, you would think, right? Yeah, and so if the guy so, right? from Kitchener who's relatively young, maybe he wants to run, maybe the party wants to have another Ontario leader. I don't know if they run that might, that might be very difficult to, to beat, not even just from an ideological perspective, but from the fact that it's been, you know, now the green party doesn't want to go for many, many years uh, without having its full-time leader be in parliament. Um, yeah. On the other hand, one thing is that the green party obviously took a beating. They, they, their, yeah. their vote totals went down quite significantly. Um, they lost a seat. They, well, they, they, they lost uh, two seats really and gained one, but they, they, they're, they're, they lost 50% of their caucus. They lost a significant portion of their votes. Um, you know, I think their vote total went down by more than half, right? Like they yeah, lost a the, significant, the significant amount. They were clearly like they were the losers of the election in a lot of ways. Most of the other parties were status quo ish. You know, the NDP vote total went up a bit. The liberal one went up a bit. The conservatives down a bit. The block was literally identical, <laughs> like, like, like 7.63 mm -hmm. to 7.64. Right. Like, you know, the the only other party that had a big move was the PPC. They didn't win any more seats, of course, but they, you know, they got a significant increase in their vote. But with that weakness, it maybe makes it easier to take over a party, hmm. right? It makes it easier yeah. to take over a party. It um, makes it so that if the party is seen as less of a prize, then the party will have maybe less of a challenge. It might make it easier for a left-wing person to take over the party. Although, again, and I'm not even saying it was ideological, um, the issues that Annamie Paul faced may well happen again and be even worse uh, if they're dealing with somebody who's definitively on the left. If you saw what yeah. happened between Annamie Paul and the party, uh, imagine what could happen if there is a left winger who, in addition to having, you know, the, the personal uh, foibles that we all do, um, is uh, <laughs> also ideologically opposed to the Elizabeth May vision of the of the party. Uh, but I do think it's possible. Like if Lascar runs, he could win. He could 100 percent. It's not a guarantee, mm -hmm. but he could win. Well, I do think if that does happen, we will pose that question again to our audience and to ourselves is the Green Party of Canada a real alternative to the NDP for leftists here in Canada? So I, I think I like to have yeah, that yeah, we'll, in our back pocket. And we'll be here. covering we'll, that. We'll, try to we'll, we'll that. be covering that oh, leadership course, race. Yeah. Um, again, like I, I think it's at six months. I don't know if there's like COVID exceptions. If it's going to literally be six months from now, I'm not sure. But when it happens, we'll yeah. we'll we'll be sure to cover it. Absolutely. So we got uh, a bit of time here. I wanted to pivot to something equally terrifying as our existential uh, destruction due to climate change, COVID. So as you all probably know, there is the new heavily mutated Omicron COVID-19 variant. It is spreading internationally, poses a very high risk of infection and surges through areas that maybe perhaps didn't the previous variants didn't. There's severe consequences. And uh, yeah, the, the world is trying to react. We've already had some cases here in Ontario, and now the effort is to get Ontarians that are marginalized and, and uh, could be victimized by this new variant, that third jab to hopefully boost up immune systems. But the real question that I think needs to be asked at this point in time as we keep getting these variants is, you know, when is the world going to be really vaccinated? When is that finally going to happen where enough of our planet is vaccinated, as we saw with polio, so that it doesn't become this sort of pandemic uh, disaster that, that we have seen? And there's stats out that were actually uh, presented and, and forwarded by Bob Ray, who we believe is the ambassador to the UN for the, the libs. Is that right there, Chris? Yes. 
Yeah, so well, he, for Canada, he's pushing but, the very but, but, but appointed, for Canada, excuse but, but appointed me, yeah. by the liberal, like the liberal government. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely part of it. It's supposed to represent. It's a very, it's an important yeah. role. Like it's supposed to represent Canada to the international community. Yeah. Very, very important. And pushing the information that 7.8 billion COVID vaccine doses have been administered. 53% of the world population has at least one dose. But when you look at a map of where those doses are, it is, I think, 140 or 120 times more people in high income countries have those doses of the 7.8 billion. So the real concern here is that marginalized countries are not getting the vaccine to save their lives. So as Bob Ray tweets correctly, this is the issue we have to confront. The failure to create a truly global plan for vaccines has allowed new variants to thrive and spread. But Christo, Bob Ray is the face of that problem. He is part of the reason why this is not happening and this problem is continuing. W- yeah. What am I talking about here? How is Canada fucking yeah. up when it comes to, you know, making sure the world is vaccinated so this pandemic is no longer a pandemic? Well, there's really two things. Uh, and Canada is not uniquely solely at fault. This is really a broad Yes, they're not failure. just Canadian. It's not yeah, just yeah, Bob no. Ray. It's, it's not, not just, just Bob, Bob Ray. Ray. No, no, we're not a boomer Ontario voter. We're not going to blame everything no. on Bob Ray. But like, <laughs> but like, look, like this is... um. There are two factors here, really, and this is on the rich countries and the corporations that are pretty much all located in those rich countries is that one, the wealthy countries have hoarded vaccines um, that they uh, when when, uh, you know, COVID was kicking off and they were getting a sense that vaccines were either being made or getting close to being made. Uh, governments of all sorts, but especially wealthier governments, placed orders for vaccines to get them and, and get in the front of the line. And they often ordered more vaccines than the country would need. Um, and as a result, it in some cases made it difficult for some of the developing countries to get them. And in addition, and I think this is probably a bigger deal uh, and, and, and even less defensible because you can understand why a country would do what it could to protect its citizens. Um, is that many um, developing nations uh, and, and some uh, uh, world bodies wanted to uh, basically produce generic vaccines to say yeah. that, like, you know, we, we understand that, you know, f- companies have worked on this, but this is a, a, a an issue of, of, of human survival in many ways and of basic human dignity. And we could produce these vaccines in these countries much more cheaply lowering the price and increasing the supply, but it might require that some of these companies make less money. And as a result of, of trying to quote unquote, protect intellectual property rights, most Western nations um, sided with these companies instead of the people in the, in the developing world. And as a result, and this isn't the, the only reason, of course, there are logistical issues. Some of the vaccines required uh, very, very cold refrigeration. And in certain parts yeah. of certain developing countries, that's, that's, a, that's a major issue. So I don't want to suggest that um, we would be 100% globally vaccinated uh, or even that everyone who wanted one could get one if we did this. But it's a major reason why uh, is that we've defended these companies over human life, right? Yeah, it's it's Basically, probably the we're, most we're indefensible patents. issue. Patents. Yeah, it, it's and and Canada is a part of that silenced group of wealthy countries. So the the irony and and kind of the despicable neoliberalness, if I will coin that term, of Bob Ray and other officials to to know that this is real to recognize that there needs to be an effort to make sure that uh, poor countries have access to these vaccines, but isn't willing to recognize that, you know, maybe we should listen to what Oxfam Canada is saying and, you know, just do a temporary, like there's there's logistical ways you can do this that are even temporary that they want about aspects of international property rights where just for a short amount of time, this can happen so that places around the world can stop 
from allowing their citizens to fucking die. Like there's a great article. I don't know if you, you caught it on uh, Canadian Dimension last month that said at the current rate, it would take the world's poorest countries another 50 years to vaccinate their populations. And I don't know a lot about microbiology. Surprising, I know that's where you come to Left Turn Canada to hear that stuff. <laughs> but I think 50 years of like continued mutations of the COVID uh, virus will probably lead to a virus that will kill us all. Yeah. Like that, that seems a little more likely than we're just going to be cool with this absolutely virulent disease coming in and, and growing and changing and adapting. So even if you are the most despicable atavistic person that just cares about yourself, most nationalist person, it makes sense to help you if more people who are on this planet have access to this vaccine, which is the thing I, I never really understood from people who are, you know, a, a little more against or perhaps even anti uh, lockdowns or, or anything close to that is I don't understand how you could be anti-lockdown and not pro-vaccine. Yeah. That, that's a strange well, dynamic here in Canada like, that I think we have. This is what I've always said. Like, there is a vaccine conspiracy. There is a shadowy cabal <laughs> of people doing shady things with the vaccine. If this was on YouTube, this would probably get us demonetized. Um, Absolutely. But, um, the, but, and that's all true. There is a shady group of globalist elites using the vaccine to harm people. And the way they do that is by denying the fucking vaccine to people. The conspiracy yeah. <laughs> all along has been that it's been too hard to get the vaccine. That's the conspiracy. Conspiracy isn't that big pharma is forcing the vaccine on people so they can make all of that money, right? No, it's like, no, it's like they're, they're hoarding the vaccine and hoarding the, the formulas to make it and all of that so that people in the developing world, one of the reasons people in the developing world can't get the vaccine is them. Like, that's the conspiracy yeah. here. So it stays developing. Like, it's hard not to look at this and think well, it is. Well, like, I don't even know if and, that's the reason. I don't know. I, would, like, I yeah. would go that far. I want, I'm, I'm drinking well, I mean, it like, now. You, you put yeah. it on the front, I'm drinking it I mean, like, I don't now. know if that's I think Pfizer's it's active goal necessarily, because you could argue. <laughs> but, like, but, like, the reality is that, like, that's the effect, right? And so yeah. I really do think that, like, this is a major issue. And, like, look, a lot of, like, Europe is clearly opposed. Some of these companies are located in Europe. Europe has kind of taken, uh, like, the EU, I believe, as an organization. I don't know if individual countries are taking positions, but it looks like the EU as a block is, you know, playing their role as a bad guy on this one. You know, is saying, like, we want to protect property rights. Biden has publicly before, but especially in the last couple of days, come out and said, you know, I am... I want to, I want to, you know, um, put a waiver on these patents so that we can save some lives. But apparently, according to some reporting, there was a, a you know, uh, a meeting at the World Trade Organization on this and the U.S. was sort of kind of just like whatever about it. So I don't, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is like, it is such, and it, it's what we talked about here today. Like we know what the threats are for our species to no longer exist. We, we know them perhaps better than we ever have before, but it's amazing to see the concerted effort to act as if we don't, you know, like act as if things are just as normal as ever. And we haven't always had this anvil hanging over our heads yeah. here as a species. And we do, we really do, whether it is the uh, existential demise due to climate change, because we haven't heeded any of the last warnings of the last 60 years and continue to invest in pipelines because, you know, it is accurately politically convenient and difficult to do otherwise that is not going to benefit Canadians, you know, 50 years from now. And I think that same policy, like, who are we going to apologize to? Who are these leaders? Who is Justin Trudeau going to apologize to 50 years from now when he didn't make choices to allow the world to be fucking vaccinated? Yeah. Like, it's how we know it's how we got rid of polio. Like, it's clear. The patents, it, it was free. And it's one of the reasons we were able to get rid or of polio. Or even, like, banting. We like, of, we, we, like, he's yeah. Literally one of the greatest Canadians ever, like on that greatest Canadian thing, I believe he was in the top 10, right? 
CBC Greatest mm-hmm. Canadian, Banting and and uh, Banting and Best. It was a group of people, but the uh, you know they invented insulin. I know that's not a vaccine; it's different. But they invented insulin, and when they did, they made it clear that they didn't want it to be used for profit. Now, of course, that's not simply the. Uh, it's not simple like that. It still is used for profit. All of that. But the reason why. He's on the list of greatest Canadians is that he helped to create insulin, which has saved dozens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of lives since he did it. Um, But he and the people he worked with um, made a decision to sell that to for one dollar to Connaught Labs, which used to be publicly owned, a crown corporation pharmaceutical company in Canada that was privatized under Mulroney and never brought back under the liberals. And it's like. (laughs) That's an example of a great Canadian. I fucking remember, I think Justin Trudeau shared a video when they made a heritage minute on him. And it's like, yeah, because he fucking won, like, like, he, that, this man is showing us what to do. We need universal yeah. <laughs> pharmacare where no medicine is denied to people on the basis of profit. But in particular, with things like insulin and vaccines, this is not just a quote unquote quality of life thing. You know, this is like yeah. survival. And, and and again, with vaccines, it really it's the most irrational. Because I can get, like, as fucking sick as it makes me, I get why, like, rich people would be like, fuck Medicare for all. I can get my private insurance. Yeah. The poorest can go die in a heap. But, but vaccines are the one thing where it's like, out of pure selfishness, governments should 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 clamp down you need everyone to get one you need everyone to get one so it's 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 the purpose of what the medicine is it's designed this way and i'm just i'm i'm really relishing this idea of justin trudeau like the leader we have now who is we talk about on the show so often actively against so many of the things that I think Canadians believe make Canada a great country, you know, the, these tenets of universal health care and caring for others. But he isn't a hated leader. He isn't at all. He's able to continue despite the fact that, you know, he can share this heritage moment about the these great Canadians and not have fruit thrown at him because of the irony that we are not following the lead of our great Canadians yeah. like that. We're not doing that. Like at, at some point you can get why all of the zoomers are like just irony pilled and, and, and completely, oh, yeah. you know, have lost sense of anything. Cause it's, it's, I'm starting to get there and I'm old as fuck. I'm not in that, that demo and I'm, I'm feeling that too guys. So I'm just, it's been a, a great show. Anything else, Christo, no, to, I mean, like, look, uh, to fuck, add this like, week? Canada is like, there's like two major, like, like there's the climate crisis, which could kill us all. And there's this epidemic, which could maybe kill us all. Right. Like I know, luckily I've heard that this Omicron one isn't necessarily as bad as we originally thought. Thank fucking goodness. But oh, this, but good. this, this is like, this is just such a sign that like our government in particular um, is, is not willing to address existential crises they're not so whether it's climate yeah uh at home and abroad but you know like a climate at home or the global pandemic justin trudeau's government is 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 not willing to make a decision that angers um the 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 economic elite they're not they're just they're not willing to do it and again look uh the ndp on on climate we're probably not willing to do it but the ndp on this has been quite clear and and should be said that Singh and the NDP have been been, been crystal clear uh, all along going back to to February March when the vaccine really started coming out that uh, fuck patents uh, everyone should be able to get this vaccine and 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 that's been good to see but Justin Trudeau controls the government and um and and to be clear Canada's effort on this is really more moral um we we don't yeah. own like Pfizer is not located in Canada so our position on this is maybe more a uh, more philosophical but nonetheless, Canada is being super cowardly. And that yeah, makes it even yeah. more obscene well, exactly. a little yeah, bit, you know, the yeah. fact that they're not and it doesn't it wouldn't hurt yeah, anything. It, yeah. The fact that that's happening is but so it's like, you know, like, crazy you know, solidarity, me, right? Like there's solidarity, you know. Yeah, I guess that's have, it. They know that yeah, solidarity. Yeah, there's solidarity with <laughs> other governments and they'll say, well, you know, now it's our thing. But what if like next time it's your fucking IP thing and somebody Man. wants to build a 
you know, uh, pipeline or something. I don't know. What do we invent? Yeah. Somebody wants to build, uh, you know, maple syrup tappers, and they and they steal the intellectual property, and then it's a oh, big thing. God. I don't know. I don't know. Man, it's just it's so funny. Again, I guess we'll we're nearing the end here, yep. folks. If you made it this far, we do appreciate it. Again, head to patreon.com slash left turn Canada just for a buck a month or ten bucks for the whole year. You can chat with us over there on Discord. Love uh being part of that. And we got some rewards if you can give a little more. I think that the funniest thing, not the funniest, perhaps the most gruesome thing about this whole conversation, Christo, is this idea that our leaders aren't willing to make these tough uh, choices based on the environmental factors when soon the environmental factors will force those tough choices to be made with or without them. So we're all just kind of, they're passing the hot potato back and forth, waiting to not be the one held when stuff really breaks down. And I don't think it's going to last that much longer because this is, I don't think this will be our first deadly pandemic oh, no. of our I lifetimes mean, yeah. like there's no, no chance uh, right well, i mean look, look neither of us are epide- epidemiologists but like yeah yes. I, I think <laughs> when you combine everything you combine a, an increasingly connected and densely populated world uh and climate like look i i look again i'm not a sci- but i have heard stories about how like the permafrost is melting and releasing like ancient diseases so let's get ready for God that. Damn it, man! Like, like, we're gonna have yeah, dinosaur like, like measles saying, like, and we're Siberia, all gonna die. And, and look, Canada's got a lot of frozen areas. Like for all we know, like yeah. ancient diseases are gonna get unthawed, uh, like like from the crypt. <sighs> so like, look, like yeah, this is this is something that um, not to doom, like not not to be all doomer here, but like we, like yeah, this is not gonna be our first pandemic. I don't think, and we're not even done this pandemic. Like we're not. Yeah, I shouldn't like say we're that. We're not, also, right? Yeah. Cases are still going up, and I get it. Like you know, deaths yeah. are down, severe cases are down. When people get vaccinated, it's good. There's 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 good things in this. Like you know, there's there's been some silver linings, but there's also a sense that the the crisis won't be meaningfully addressed by capitalist governments. It won't. Yeah. Yeah. So I will leave you with that, folks. Don't get dinosaur measles when they eventually thaw yeah. out in the permafrost. You know, stay away from the the next uh, zombie cough that's coming out. Make sure you don't inhale. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>